0: slowly passes through the middle of the night. The saloons are all closed. The town is quiet. Everyone is asleep. Well, almost everyone. A gang of thieves has been following this train, watching it, waiting for just the right time. They run up as quietly as they can and force their way in to one of the cars. They don't tell everyone to stick them up or anything like that. And the train isn't full of gold or silver. That's because this isn't a train robbery seen from an old Wild West movie. This is the type of train robbery happening now. The loot they're grabbing could be computers, fur coats, or even guns. These heists are often sophisticated with a dozen or so people involved, from lookouts to drivers with huge trucks ready to haul off the bounty. It might be surprising to hear that train robberies aren't just a thing of the past, until you realize that trains are shipping billions of tons worth of items every year. Products as small as shoes and toys, to huge things like wind turbines and military vehicles. In fact, if you look around the room you're in, there's a good chance most of the stuff you see was shipped on a train. And if you're in a car, well, that might've been on a train too. Welcome to the Reconnecting Roots podcast, where we dive deep into unique stories and aspects of American history and culture that are often overlooked by
1: framing the future through the past. I'm your host, Ryan Estabrooks. I'm Gabe McCauley, host of the TV series Reconnecting Roots, which is currently airing on a PBS station near you, or available to watch on ReconnectingRoots.com.
0: I'll be your guide throughout our story today.
1: I'll be connecting and learning from people all across America.
0: And today, we're looking at the different ways trains are still being used in America. We'll hear from Russell Lowe, author and descendant of Chinese American immigrants who worked on the Transcontinental Railroad.
2: They built something that really united our country permanently. It changed the whole concept of, of what America was.
1: And I'll chat with Patrick Goddard, president of Brightline, an innovator in high-speed rail.
3: It's not just about getting me from A to B. It's also about the experience around that.
0: Trains are one of those things that seem to have faded into the background for a lot of people. You might hear them off in the distance at night, and you'll probably slow down before driving over train tracks. Besides that, the majority of Americans don't really come into contact with them very often, especially if you don't live on the east or west coasts. So what place do trains have in our modern society? How are they currently being used? And is this something that we'll utilize less over time? Or will we tap into this centuries old technology more as we go on?
1: Constructed to perfection, responsibly built for the long haul. Taylor Stitch has taken over 10 years of feedback and is doubling down on their commitment to building the best possible clothing while pledging to limit their environmental impact. From fiber to fabric to factory to end functionality, Taylor Stitch has grown from a need for products without limitations that could handle chopping wood, surf sessions, snagging trout, or simply heading to the office. On top of making the world's best apparel, they're asking questions about how they can protect wild forever. And as a Reconnecting Roots listener, use the code Roots. That's Reconnecting Roots, all one word, for 25% off all products, one use per customer. That offer is valid through July, 2021. Taylor Stitch makes some outstanding clothing. How do I know? Because I wear it, I have some. And without a doubt, every time I'm sporting a jacket, a shirt, I get compliments. It looks good on me, so I know it'll look great on you. Taylor Stitch.
0: Knock, knock, who's there? It's
1: Mule Town. I wake up every morning to two things. One, my lovely bride, and two, a cup of Mule Town coffee. It's just good, for goodness sake. Steep. Sip. Enjoy. Making good coffee has never been easier than with MuleTown Coffee's new Steeped Packs. And whether you're rushing to get kids out the door, traveling abroad, or out hiking the trails, MuleTown Steep Packs are easy to carry, easy to brew, and ready wherever you are. Just add hot water. Visit MuleTownCoffee.com to order Steep Packs today. And as always, have a good one from everyone at MuleTown Coffee. Now through July 31st, 2021, customers will get 20% off steeped packs when they use coupon code steep it up. STEEPITUP. S T E E P I T U P. All one word, Steep It Up. And if you're wondering out there, is it really that easy? Can I really just go to a website, say I want coffee, and it'll be delivered to my door just whenever I run out? Yeah, it is. I know because I've done it. Mule Town Coffee. Good for goodness sake. Reconnecting Roots has some new friends we can't seem to shake. I mean, you know those guys. They crash on your couch, drink all your booze, and clutter the sink with leftover bowls of ramen. Earl and Craig host a PBS show called The Good Road with a companion podcast called Philanthropology. That's right, Philanthropology. They travel a ton around the world and seek out cool people who are changemakers and tell their stories. Check them out at thegoodroad.tv where you can jump to their podcasts and info about the show. But... I will warn you, if you connect with them, they will ask if they can crash on your couch. They've done it to me. Earl and Craig really have become good friends of ours. They're such fun people with great hearts. And their TV show, The Good Road, and Philanthropology, the podcast, are worth checking out. Their shows about people doing good. We could all stand to see and hear about more of that. The Good Road with Craig and Earl. Check them out.
0: Gabe, before filming this episode, when was the last time you had been on a train?
1: I've rode a couple scenic trains. So there was one out in Colorado. I got to ride kind of up this mountain. then we uh, listened to some music, had a little concert and and rode back. Um, Rode a few in Europe. But yeah, I don't ride trains too often. So I have to kind of think about that. And you, were you riding last week or what?
0: Oh, well, you know it. Uh, Actually, I wish. No, I've honestly, I I think I've only ridden one train in my entire Mm -hmm. life. And it was just- Including subway rides? Yeah, I've I've never Hmm. been on a subway before. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know, right? Whenever I was a kid, I went with my grandma on a train ride between like Oklahoma and Arkansas or something like that. And it was purely just for the experience just to you know she wanted me to to be able to say that i had ridden on a train before
1: yeah and it was cool i liked it ryan the reality is you and i could talk all day long about trains but we're not experts i i you know can't even nope. say i care a whole lot about trains i mean I, I did some but uh i think it would be we'd be better suited to bring in an expert On train, someone who is well versed in the train terminology and all the things, all things train, really. So, uh, without further ado, Declan McAfee. Are you there, Declan?
4: Yeah, I'm just listening.
1: Well, Declan, tell us why you're an expert on trains.
4: I just have a huge experience with them through my lifetime, so.
1: And when we're talking about your lifetime, uh, how old are you? Thirty-five.
4: No, I'm eight.
1: Do you know how old Gabe is? <laughs> we don't have to get into that. Hey, Declan, oh, okay. tell us why you love trains.
4: It's just the way they move the gears for the steam locomotive. How how they work, what they work for, and definitely the fashion.
1: The fashion, like like the look of them. Yeah. And how do trains work? Do you know?
4: Have you ever seen in a movie, like inside the steam locomotive, where they, where they, there's this hatch they open and then, and then they take a shovel and put the coal inside the hatch with the, where the fire is?
1: Yeah, I have seen that.
4: So the fire boils water and the water makes steam and then, well, it makes these gears move and then it, the pistons run and then it moves the wheels.
0: Do you want to, like, work on trains or do anything related to trains whenever you grow up?
4: Well, I wanted to, like, own a museum, be the boss of a museum. And the museum shows, like, history of trains sometimes. And, and like, probably every museum you go to, it's got to have models of trains.
1: Very cool.
4: Now there's diesels, and we don't really take trains for to ride a whole lot now. Because we got planes, cars, and other types of trains, which are like subway trains or other types. But diesels are working like really hard to carry apples, luggage, whatever you can believe. It's cargo.
0: That makes sense. I mean, we need something to carry all of our stuff. So why not trains? Yeah.
1: Why not trains?
0: That should be their slogan. Why not trains? More than 2 billion tons of freight is shipped on trains every year in the U.S., which is the equivalent of shipping more than 29,000 tanks, which, by the way, is also something commonly shipped on trains. To put that in perspective, only a quarter of that amount was shipped in any given year in the 1950s, All of this is done on 140,000 miles of track, which is almost half of what it was during our peak train riding years. But since all these things are being shipped around in our railroads, we still have a vintage problem that never went away, train robberies. In the olden days, famous robbers like Butch Cassidy and Jesse James would go after payroll shipments, using dynamite to blow up safes to get the loot inside. But today's robbers only need a heavy-duty set of bolt cutters to break a lock on a train car. Which is usually much quieter and safer than, you know, using insanely explosive dynamite. And although we may not see train robberies plastered on the front page of the New York Times every day, or mentioned by the 5 o'clock news all that much, it's still a fairly common problem. For example, in Chicago, Illinois, there were more than 400 train robberies during a recent five-year period. Even if we don't hear about them, we certainly pay for it, because manufacturers have to increase prices in order to make up for the stolen goods. So if you've ever wondered why the new PlayStation costs so much, that's part of the reason why. But with so much cargo being delivered on rails, is there any room left for passengers? There are definitely still people hopping aboard American train cars these days about 533 million per year to be exact. But compare this to Europe where they have 8 billion passengers traveling by rail every year. Our numbers today are roughly half of what they were in 1916 and in that year, we had about a third of our current national population. The rail industry was booming at that time, especially after the completion of the Transcontinental Railroad, which connected our nation coast to coast. Before then, it took more than a month to travel from, say, New York City to San Francisco, and would cost you $1,000. Afterward, it would take only six days and cost $150. This, of course, had a huge impact on how culture spread from one region to the rest of the country. New Yorkers could eat California strawberries without having to leave their home state. Even common items like razors and shaving cream were easier to find now. Getting the Transcontinental Railroad built was a massive undertaking, but everyone knew how important it was for unifying the country. President Lincoln signed the legislation that kicked off construction, which took seven years to complete in 1869, and ended with a ceremonial golden spike driven into the last connecting train track. What a lot of people may not realize is the Transcontinental Railroad was mostly built by immigrants. Sadly, a lot of their work has been overlooked and brushed aside over the years. It's only now that we're starting to truly acknowledge the blood, sweat, and tears that were put in by immigrant workers, in particular, Chinese workers.
1: It's May of 2019. I'm walking around a vast open plain at a place called Promontory Summit in Utah. A group of people strolls by, dressed up in centuries-old fashion, and right behind them sits some very brightly colored trains. And nearly 20,000 people are here to celebrate the 150th anniversary of the Transcontinental Railroad being finished. But this isn't just a big excuse to have a giant party. Not that I need an excuse to party. The organizers of this event see it as an opportunity to educate people on the unsung heroes of the Transcontinental Railroad.
2: This anniversary is also important because we are finally giving those who did the bulk of the heavy labor their proper recognition. I'm proud that we have highlighted the contributions of the more than 15,000 Chinese laborers along with Irish workers, Mormon workers, Native Americans, and many others, built the Transcontinental Railroad.
1: While I'm there, I meet up with author Russell Lowe, whose ancestor was a Chinese immigrant who worked on this historic railroad.
2: My great-grandfather was named Hung Lai Wo, and he came to America with his brother, his brother, Jikwu, in the early 1860s, and, you know, the, the, the truth is, they didn't know it was the Transcontinental Railroad. Yeah. It was a job. They, they offered them a job and money and a, and a way out of the country, and they took it. It changed their life. Yeah. It changed mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here because of them.
1: Chinese workers were celebrated initially after they finished the Transcontinental Railroad. But over the years, their accomplishments faded from the spotlight. Instead the companies were getting most of the glory. And when the workers were celebrated, it was the American and Irish ones.
2: We we celebrate locomotives and we celebrate golden spikes and we celebrate railroads, but this story is not about the things, but it's the people. It's the men and the stories behind the men who did this, which is really something we should celebrate. They built something that really united our country permanently. It changed the whole concept of, of what America was.
1: Russell was such a kind and gentle spirit, and you could just see the passion he had to not only talk about and celebrate his ancestors, but all of these immigrants who came here with with a hope for opportunity here in America. And it was these immigrants that connected America for the very first time.
0: When America joined the fray of World War II, there was a shortage of steel needed for the war effort. The tracks for most of the Transcontinental Railroad were ripped out and used to fill demand since the popularity of trains was declining. But there are still railways being used today that were built several generations ago by our ancestors, many of whom were immigrants. Without their work, the America of today would be a lot different. After trains became so popular, What caused people to hop off? There are a number of different factors, but it mostly came down to new methods of transportation taking off. Bicycles gave people more personal freedom, which we explain in our season one episode of the podcast, by the way. Personal freedom was taken to a whole new level when cars became affordable to the middle class. For those who wanted to travel long distances, planes flew in and swooped up that part of the market with the ability to get people across the nation faster than ever before. But Americans hadn't completely given up on the idea of trains at that point. Engineers were working to make them faster and more efficient so that they could compete better with other modern forms of transportation. The term high-speed rail started being used when discussing the future of trains. The idea was, if trains could go three to four times faster than cars, and almost as fast as planes, people would want to get their tickets punched again. But high-speed rail hit a roadblock, the fast-changing American culture.
3: You know, everybody kind of got into their car and got on the highway, and that was sort of everyone's opinion or view or vision of what independence was at that time.
1: And that's Patrick Goddard president of Brightline, one of the current leaders in high-speed trains here in America.
3: We kind of blew our opportunity after the Second World War, and instead of investing back into the railroads like Europe and Asia did, we invested in highways, right? And the freight rail uh, companies took over with an incredibly sophisticated freight rail network, but it's not really set up for passenger rail.
0: It was Japan's success with their first high-speed trains, sometimes called bullet trains, that made President Lyndon B. Johnson push Congress to improve the ones in our own backyard. The High-Speed Ground Transportation Act of 1965 was passed with support from both political parties. This led to the creation of a high-speed route between New York City and Washington DC just a few years later. But then, things just kind of stalled. Funding was given to studies throughout the 70s and 80s with more endorsements for high-speed rail happening in the 90s. However, no real plans were put into motion during this time. In 2009, then-President Barack Obama gave a huge boost to our chances of getting high-speed rail with $10 billion dedicated to new infrastructure. A plan was outlined for a future of America that ran on nationwide high-speed railways. There was a lot of excitement in the beginning as states bid on getting their share of that $10 billion. But politics and logistics got in the way over the years with many projects getting canceled soon after they got started. Some improvements to our nation's railways did happen thanks to this initiative, and some projects that were launched at that time are still ongoing. But the government's push for national high-speed trains didn't happen the way they thought it would. Instead of waiting for the government to come up with a solution for high-speed rail, private companies, like Brightline, stepped up to the plate to try and get us back on track.
1: I hop off my motorized scooter outside of the entrance to a Brightline station here in Fort Lauderdale. I'm excited to go for a ride on one of America's only high-speed trains. This particular route will take me up to West Palm Beach. And if I want, I can go all the way down to Miami on the same railway. As I walk inside, I quickly realize this is far different than the stereotypical idea of a train station. At least the one I had in my head. The design of the place looks very modern. They have full bars, retail stores, and even a pharmacy inside. It felt more like roaming through a mall or a fancy airport lounge. I mean, I could see myself spending half my day just hanging out here. I meet up with Patrick, who gives me a tour and explains how this whole thing went from being a far-off dream into a reality.
3: So I think people are spending more time on their mobile devices. They want to be out of their cars, they want to be safe, they want to be more eco-friendly, and train travel provides all of that. You can be productive, you're 90% safer than being on the road, yeah. you can be on your device, you can not be on your device, you can you know, be awake, be asleep, and uh, we think that that's what makes it relevant.
1: According to Patrick, getting more people back onto trains could literally save lives. The region they're in has the densest vehicle traffic in South Florida. The last 70 miles of I-95 in this area are the most dangerous, with over 50,000 car accidents a year, resulting in 3,000 deaths. Another reason people have been hopping on this high-speed train is because of the experience it provides that you just can't get in your car.
3: And We care a lot about interior design. We care a lot about architecture and guest comfort, every seat has its own outlet. There's plentiful Wi-Fi, there's food and beverage service, there's a full bar, You know there are retail offerings, over-the-counter pharmacy, all of this is very accessible. And, and it's a complete diversion away from what everybody is used to. Again, there's a reason behind that. People are looking for an experience today. They're not looking for just the commodity of transportation. It's not just about getting me from A to B, it's right. also about the experience around that
1: how's the technology specifically within the trains themselves changed? Yeah. like the efficiency the effect on the environment
3: yeah i mean we can move we can move a person from miami to orlando on about a, on about uh i want to say like a gallon of gas we're, we're we are so fuel efficient on these things these are biodiesel and in california we'll go full electric but the biodiesel has a process with our locomotives are tier three compliant, which basically means they have almost zero emissions. Uh, the little bit of diesel emissions that come out are mixed with uh, urea, uh, which essentially cleans the fumes before they get out of the locomotive.
1: Another big improvement is making trains more accessible to passengers.
3: These are actually, this is the first and most ADA-friendly system in the United States, you can actually navigate by wheelchair through the stations, on the trains. All, like you can basically wheel a wheelchair from end to end on this uh, train. There's no other train in the country that you can do that on. That's a big deal. Yeah.
1: Of course, one of the biggest perks of high-speed rail is the high speed. I made it to my destination faster than if I were to take the highway in my car. kind of makes me wish we had one of these in Nashville. I mean, if I had the opportunity to hop on a train and spend the hour that it takes me to commute to the office and instead could be reading, sleeping, getting some work done and not have to worry about getting stuck in traffic or getting into an accident, I would totally be up for that. Although a national network of high-speed rail seems like it won't happen for quite some time, Brightline is currently building a station in Orlando that's scheduled to launch in 2022, which would then connect South Florida to Central Florida. Additional planned routes from both Brightline and other private companies would connect Los Angeles to Las Vegas, Dallas to Houston, and Washington D.C. to Boston. And this is all possible thanks to new generations Building on technology that goes back more than 200 years.
0: After having ridden on on Brightline and experiencing this new wave of high-speed rail and high-speed trains, could you see a future of America that would be on board with this, that, that this might catch on?
1: You know, I, I can. I hope so. Um, I really enjoy riding trains. And if there was if I had the opportunity to conveniently, let's just say, drive to the the exit where I would typically get on the interstate and hop on a train and ride into town and save myself the stress and the headache, and I would totally do that. So I, I could see people being very interested in it. You know, I think the challenge is um, the infrastructure. If we can somehow figure out a way to develop that infrastructure or it becomes more cost efficient or whatever it is, I think people would be glad to jump on those opportunities. I know I would.
0: Yeah, and, and something you mentioned about having the time to like read or or do other things instead of driving. In my opinion, that may be one of the biggest factors going forward in the future. And the reason why is because for better or worse, America has become a culture of productivity. And focused on like, you know, how much can I do in a day? How much can I accomplish? And yet a lot of us have this giant time suck of being in traffic or our our daily commute to our office. So if suddenly we have an extra hour in our day to where instead of driving, like we can be on our laptop doing some work or we could even just be sleeping. So, you know, maybe you could stay up later the night before because, you know, you're going to get an extra hour of sleep on the way to work, stuff like that. I, I feel like that sentiment right there could really push this into being successful once the infrastructure is able to to put
1: that in place, um, it definitely would for me. I've had an opportunity to ride in a Tesla a couple times, and you know we hit the self drive button, and there I was just sitting in this car, and it was just doing it for me. It was making turns, and it was slowing down, speeding up, and that's where we're headed. So whether yeah. or not we're in a train or we're th- we're in a self driving car, I mean you can tell that we're gonna head toward. A situation where we're not having to be as directly involved in the driving itself.
0: When we stopped using trains as our main source of transportation, we figured out a new place for it in our lives. Instead of abandoning the technology completely, we adapted it, upgraded it, made it better, even took some of the best elements from it and applied it to other technologies. It's also worth noting how many different people play a part in the infrastructures that form the backbone of this nation. We're better when we work together. I think that really speaks to the American spirit of trying to learn from the past so we can improve today, which then hopefully improves the future. If we were able to create a nationwide network of giant steel behemoths powered by steam that connected our entire country together, what else can we accomplish? We want to give a huge thanks to all of our friends who are on the show today. We're really glad he took the time to chat with us.
1: I want to thank the ever so generous Russell Lowe. His book, Three Coins, is available in bookstores and draws heavily on his research and knowledge about his family and Chinese American immigrants. And a huge thank you to Patrick Goddard at Brightline. You can keep up with their developments or even grab some tickets at gobrightline.com. We'll include
0: links in the show notes to all of these places for easy access. You can watch the Reconnecting Roots TV series on your local public television station, on the PBS app, or stream it on our website. Feel free to rate us or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so we can keep the conversation going. You can also listen to the Reconnecting Roots album where Fire Kid and Manny McCauley reimagine iconic songs with a modern twist, each song related to a topic on the show. Check it out on Spotify, Apple Music, and other popular streaming services. And now, here's a performance of their trains related song called Wabash Cannonball.
3: sails she climbs
4: the mountain she rides the rails yeah she's handsome known by all wabash cannon She's handsome, known by all Wabash cannonball.
1: Wabash cannonball Wabash Cannonball Wabash Cannonball
4: Wabash Cannonball The title of this song is The Wabash Cannonball, Bernie West Ball From the great Atlantic Ocean
1: The Reconnecting Roots podcast is made possible by the following wonderful people. Our producer, Joel McAfee, writer, researcher, and my co-host, Ryan Estabrooks. Research for this episode also provided by Larissa Goodlad and Joel McAfee. Consulting by Dave Boyd, music supervisor and editor Mandy McCauley, score George Polly and Paul Kensing, mixed by George Polly, and our executive producers Frank and Karen Smith. And our amazing theme song, America the Beautiful Reimagined as We're Home by Fire Kid and Mandy McCauley. Connecting Roots podcast is a Lil Dragon and Story Scout Studios production.